0: Good morning everyone, great to see you this morning, I want to start out our service with some scripture reading, public reading of scripture, if y'all would not mind uh, standing with me as I read this, it's coming from Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9 and I will be reading through verse 7. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. Recognizing this advent of what uh, we celebrate this time of year, the coming of this promise, God, that you would send the one who would be our redeemer, who would be our Lord, who would be our wonderful counselor, mighty God, the one who saves us from our sin. And we celebrate that today. We celebrate it in just the recognition of all that he has done for us as we stand on this side of the cross, looking back at all that you have promised through him that is now fully realized in the one who we call our great high priest and our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate that, Father, through our time, the study of scripture, and through the music that we will sing, I pray it be honoring to you that you be glorified, for you are the Most High God. You are sovereign over all that is going on here today, over all the things that have transpired through the past and into the future. We know that you are almighty and over it all. And with that comes a, a comfort and a peace that you are not worried about the things and the events going on in this world, that you have it all planned out, that you are over it. And I pray that just by faith and knowing that you will do all that you have promised that we would have that sense of peace that just lives within our hearts, that dwells with us because your Holy Spirit is within us. Father, I thank you that we can come together as a church, that we can worship you through Jesus Christ, and that we can just celebrate all that you have done in him because you have given us victory through his sacrifice on the cross and his victorious resurrection over the grave. Lord, we ask this and pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
1: Alright, right. hope you guys are enjoying your day so far. Um, Let's open our Bibles back up to Philippians. I have the privilege to teach one more time um, before we end this book, and uh, we are going to wrap up through verse 9, which is my original intent last week, so I asked someone if I could finish it up, and uh, like I said, I struggled with kind of how to divide it, and so... Uh, rather than leave the next person with a half thought um because of the way I chose to divide it up, I figured i 'd finish it up so um anyways we 're in Philippians, and um oops um so last week we saw that Paul has just addressed Euodia and Syntyche. We saw that in the early verses of chapter four. in chapter 2 and then uh, he then presses the leaders to help these women resolve their differences remember that they were co-laborers in the gospel with paul and they were christians because their names were obviously written in the book of life paul claims then paul encourages them to rejoice in the lord the lord is our source of joy in him And that was the first half of verse 4. And then Paul now turns to the church and exhorts us to rejoice in the Lord again. Let's go ahead and read this passage. Let's start with uh, chapter 4, verse 4b, where it says, Again I will say rejoice. Then it goes on to say, Let your considerate spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything be by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, surpass, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, what is whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if And if anything worth of praise, consider these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, Lord, just to give you thanks again for your grace and your mercy, Lord, for allowing us to be here as a church, Lord, as a body to uh, worship, to grow, to mature in you, Lord. I pray today, Lord, there's many who are sick right now and many who may be traveling, Lord, but uh, I know there's many in our church family who are sick right now or family members are sick and they're having to deal with them, Lord, and I just pray for healing in these families, Lord. I pray that they recover well, and Lord, I know this is a season where people will be traveling, and I pray, Lord, that you keep us safe and you keep us um, healthy as well, Lord. pray that we have a good time and good memories, Lord, and um I just want to thank you also for this text, Lord. I know it's um, it's not much time, Lord, to discuss every point in the fullest of its of e- of its um of its truth, Lord. But I pray that we say the things that need to be said today. I'm trusting, Lord, in your guidance today and what you may have me to say. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so, <clears throat> so here we are, chapter four, verse four b. Again, I will say rejoice. Um, so like I said, so Paul was talking to um, Euodia, Syntyche. He, he turns and he's talking to this gentleman, uh, Clemens. And then um, he at the end of this, he's um, asking them to restore these people pretty much. Then he says to rejoice in the Lord. And then he turns to the church now, and he says, again, I will say, rejoice. Okay, he turns to the church, and now he's talking to us. Paul now turns to the entire church and exhorts us to rejoice in the Lord. No matter how tough or how dark life may be, it is always possible for us to rejoice in the Lord since Christ is the source of joy. Christian joy is not associated with our current circumstances. Okay, and you need to understand this. This is important. Our joy is not associated with current circumstances. If it was, it would be unstable. Our joy is not associated with daily activities. Okay? So it cannot be a victim of the current day. Well, I'm having a bad day, so, you know, therefore, I have all the right to act the way I'm acting, right? Don't let the day rob your joy. I used to tell my children as we were growing up. Don't let the things of life rob your joy. So no matter how tough or dark life may be, it is always possible for us to rejoice in the Lord. Like I said, since He is that source. Um, Our joy is not associated with daily activities, as I mentioned again, so it cannot be the victim of the current day. So no matter if the day is dark and gloomy or bright and clear, our joy is not hindered or should not be hindered. On the same day, we could bury a relative and marry another with no effect on our joy. That's how extreme our day could go, but yet our joy should be untouched. We go to the second half of this verse where it says, Again, I say rejoice. Paul encourages us to rejoice once again here in the second half of our text. It is better translated, I'll say it again. Rejoice. He's repeating himself. I'll say it one more time because he said it, you know, in that earlier half. Rejoice. As I mentioned last week, there are two words that explain this book. And I kind of set it up for today. And I mentioned that they were joy and rejoice. But in all reality, it is truly one word, which is joy. Okay? The word rejoice is only a variant form of that word joy, which is a Christian virtue and the fruit of God's Spirit. To rejoice or to have joy is, here it is, supernatural. And that's why we cannot let it affect us through the materialistic world this is a supernatural thing that comes from one person only and who is that Jesus Christ the Lord himself right Chris so to rejoice or to have joy is supernatural one commentator said that joy is a Christian virtue and happiness is the virtue of the world Happiness is entirely external. Happiness depends on the things we have, or the things that we can acquire. Right? Have you ever seen the credit card commercial where it talks about buying happiness? Yeah. Right. That's the first thing I just came to my mind. So, it was not in my notes. That's a good footnote for y'all. No. <laughs> but I just thought of that. <clears throat> so, to rejoice or to have joy is supernatural. And again, this commentator says, Joy is a Christian virtue, and happiness is the virtue of the world. Happiness is entirely external. Happiness depends on the things we have or can acquire. For some, it could be money, it could be fame, it could be power, or even good looks, which, you know, that's not me, right? So I am humbled by that. (laughs) Which are all external right these are all external things when you die you're going to take your good looks with you your money your power now you want to right yeah but it's going to have no use right no use at all when these things disappear so does happiness i've seen talking about money where people win the lottery. And they're the most miserable people ever. They say, typically, I wish I never had this money. I was a lot happier before I won it. Right? That's why I don't play. I just hope that one day somebody will put me in their will. And if they, Lord willing, they want to give it to me, I'll take it. But I don't play the lottery for that reason, right? (laughs) But no. So joy is different. It comes from the nature of God. And rises out of us. Whom God's Spirit dwells, right? As a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you. And now we have the Spirit that dwells in us that can now reflect true joy or we can now experience true joy because of this Spirit. Only a Christian can experience the true joy Of God, or the true meaning of joy which comes from God. God is the source. As I mentioned, it is not external, but it is internal. It is not circumstantial. Okay? No matter which one of your loved ones passes away, that should not rob your joy. No matter how much financial debt you're in, that should not rob your joy. No matter what is said about you, That should not rob your joy. The Christian could be having the worst day ever, right? But there is still joy. Teaching that to your children when they go to school and they get into scuffles or um, um, verbal fights at school, right? And they come back with their feelings hurt to teach them that we find our joy in Christ and to make sure that when they are talking with people and having these disagreements that they are not trampling on the cross of Christ and teaching them this joy is hard because you cannot they cannot fathom what you're saying unless they are true believers but you you're still trying to instill these truths in them okay so the second half of verse 4 is a transition point it initiates this next section of verses verse 5 says Let your considerate spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now different translations have different things. One translation says reasonableness. Mine says considerate spirit. So I'll interchange those and try to use them both. I think my translation that I'm teaching out of uh, uses uh, one of the lesser um, of the two. Or uses it uh, less, right? So the phrase considerate spirit or other... Uh, or reasonableness is the same thing, okay? But, so it says, let your considerate spirit be known to all men. There are some opposites that we're warned against, okay? As Christians, if you look at first Timothy 3 3, um, I can read it to you if you want to turn, it's up to you. But as Christians, we are not to be violent, okay? We are not to have a violent spirit. 1 Timothy 3 3 says, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, which means violent. But here's how we should be we should be considerate, uh, considerate. We should be peaceful, free from the love of money. It doesn't mean you can't have money, but from the love of money, you need to be free from that. Okay? If the Lord has blessed you with that, be a good steward, but do not love it. Do not let it control you. But that's the opposite. So we see we're not to have a violent spirit but be considerate, be peaceful. Now, this is the world watching us, okay? Another one is we're not t- supposed to be slanderous. If we turn a couple of books over to Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 2. A slanderous spirit, right, is what we're not supposed to have. It says in three two, it says, to slander no one, okay? Then it says, here's what we should be. We should be peaceful, considerate, demonstrating all, I mean demonstrating gentleness to all men. Okay? This is the opposite of what the world wants us to be. This is what we should be when the spirit lives in us, right? Let your considerate spirit be known to all men. Another one is in 1st Peter 2:18. We are not to be harsh Have a harshful spirit. 1 Peter 2.18 It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are crooked or harsh. Okay? This is the Christian responsibility. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to those who are good and considerate, so Christians don't be nice just to the I mean don't be good only to those who are nice but also to those who are harsh. But then it's telling us that we should not be harsh. A true Christian should not be or should not have a harshful spirit. And then if we look at James 3:17, it's a call to be pure and full of mercy. James 3:17 It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Here's that word again. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, without doubting, without hypocrisy. Church, this is supposed to be us. Full of God's Spirit. This is what should be coming out of us, flowing out of us, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, without doubting, without hypocrisy. One commentator says the phrase "considerate spirit" or reasonableness it says speaks of being just and merciful, demonstrating fairness toward other people. The word therefore describes someone who is thoughtful and considerate, one who relates with good grace toward others. Such, co- such considerate spirit or reasonableness <clears throat> would be a valued virtue in a conflicted situation like we saw with Euodia and Syntyche in verses 2 and 3. Or in the face of mounting pressure by opponents in the broader culture like we saw in chapter 1 verses 27 through 30. Okay, so now Paul... Is challenging the Philippians. Let's go back to Philippians. To live so that their spirit is known to all men. Or so that it is common knowledge to all men. They are called out to live in a way that their virtue is obvious to those in the surrounding culture. Okay. I'm going to ask you if you're surfing the web right now or kind of looking at Facebook or whatever to pause real quick and pay attention to me. The question to us is, what about us? Are we living a life that the culture says that we are virtuous? That, are we, that we are peace loving? Are we pure? Are we full of mercy? Or are we known as those who are violent, slanderous or harsh? When people see you or us, what do they think if they know you call yourself a Christian? Is it obvious to the surrounding culture who you are? That's hard to answer, right? Because we still live in the flesh. We may stumble or trip. But we have to get up and restore those relationships. We have to get up and apologize. We have to get up and reflect Christ's likeness. What do people know of you? When we interview at work, 50% is only just the verbal interview. The other 50% is what we call the spirit values, right? And they're pretty much biblical principles, but I'm not sure where they got them from, but uh, they can be applied biblically. One of them is integrity, you know, people, things like that. And if it's a close race, we look outside the walls and we look at the reputation of the person that's applying for the job. We make sure what are others saying about them. We want to make sure That they have a good testimony. Okay? That they have a good moral conscience. That they are a team player. That's from a worldly perspective. But here, Christ is the standard. And if Christ is the standard, then where do we stand? What do people say about you? What do they say about me? This is something to think about, church. So, The verse goes on to say the Lord is near. So this may mean that the Lord is now present or that the Lord is coming soon. I saw different commentaries debate both sides. I feel that that both are correct. Okay, I look at it from a present and futuristic perspective. But I really tend to favor that the Lord is coming soon a little bit more than the present tense. But... We are to live as if He was to be here at any moment, okay, the return right the Lord is new every day God gets closer to His return, and we need to live in fear and reverence of the Lord, okay So the passage tells us, let your considerate spirits be known to all men. Remember this is the last chapter. That Paul is ever going to write. And this is what he's telling us. To reflect Christ. To be like Christ in your life. Don't just say it. But live it. And what do people say about it? Right? Let the people be the judge. Of who you claim to be. Put that in their hands. Man and what would they say? That is tough. That is hard. But that's what Paul it's telling us. What do the people say about us? Maybe we need to reevaluate ourselves, repent, make things right, dig deeper into God's word, get to know Him more so we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let's move on now to verse 6. Think about that. <clears throat> so. Verse 6 says, but be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I asked a friend of mine this week, I said, can a Christian, can a Christian be anxiety free and we begin talking and and just discussing different things. And this is a very hard topic for me right now, honestly. Uh, I was very mixed emotions. There's been all kinds of things in my life from my theological perspective, from my friendship, from discipleship. The anxiety has been a, a massive topic in my life this year, whether I'm talking about myself or others. But it is a reality out there, okay? But it is also, according to this text here, can be resolved it all can also be sinful okay so because the lord is near the text said previously and is present okay that's what the other part i struggle with the lord is near but also he is present we should be anxious for nothing especially because the holy spirit lives in us okay there is nothing that god cannot handle in his sovereignty he has, a, he has complete control. When we are weak and unstable, we need to build our strength on the foundation of what the Bible says about God. Sometimes in the church or at home, we fail to equip the saints or our families so that they can have the full knowledge of who God is and the works He can perform. We need to understand God's nature, His purposes. If we have a faulty understanding of God, then we will be unstable and anxiety will reign. As I was going through this, I was reflecting on a comment that um, me and another gentleman were having about this. He was telling me how some of his theology that he had in the past was some of the root to his anxiety. And then as he told me that I began to talk to other people and I was hearing the same thing, I used to believe this way, And it created anxiety in me. And it just started to blow my mind. And as I was going through this, those things were being refreshed in my mind that an unstable doctrine and theology can create anxiety. Especially when you're trying to trust in the Lord, but you have a wrong perspective of His Word, of His truth. It's very interesting. Um... So, we need to understand God. I remember uh, some of these people this year, as I talked to them, it was so interesting because in my mind, I was watching them go through these struggles, but they were reading their Bible, they were memorizing verses, and even in the middle of all the pain, the anxiety, there was joy in their life. And I was certain from my fleshly perspective that they were going to walk away from it. But what I saw was that it drew them closer and closer and closer to the Lord. And like I said, it's rocked my world this year, just going through this myself as a bystander, watching and then watching God and then watching God be faithful to work through these things, trusting in God. I think I started getting anxiety just watching because I wasn't sure if I could trust the Lord and watching this and I was getting emotional I didn't know what to do. Typically, I can talk you through something, through the scripture and convince you to at least second uh, think what I'm saying. But when it's emotionally drawn to it, there's nothing I could do, right? It has to come from that person and that person alone. So very interesting, very um, personal to me. This is, again, I'm not even going to scratch the surface on this subject, but it is a reality out there. And we need to be aware of it, and we need to know that to deal with these things, we need to consume ourselves with God's Word, at least to start off with. I'm not saying there are not other medical things that cannot affect you, but as a Christian, our foundation should be found in the Word of God and continue to build that uh, knowledge and that foundation on Him. So, like I said, when we are weak and unstable, we need to build our strength on the foundation of what the Bible says about God. Okay, When we are anxious, when we are worried, when we are fretful, we become unstable and vulnerable to trials and temptations. If our theology is weak, then when trials and temptations come, then anxiety, then trust, and un- unanswered questions begin to take over and creates more of an emotional experience than anything. <clears throat> so anxiety, though, is a violation of Scripture, and it's unnecessary. Here we see Jesus points out that sinful, the, the sinfulness of anxiety, One of the the key passages that people typically go to is Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. Let's go there really quick. Matthew 6. As you're going to remember that those who are dealing with it, that's just what you see up front. But the way it affects the family the way it penetrates it's like all the example I always give about a house fire you can have a fire in the kitchen and you can turn it out before it burns the home but as the smoke travels through the house it saturates the house your clothes your bed your carpet and it's hard to get rid of it if you can even get rid of it and it's the same thing right sin this is what sin does and anxiety is sinfulness Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we fear for clothing? Wear for clothing. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Man, I think he was talking to me about you of little faith, right? So I, I pray that the Lord will give me this kind of faith so that, and I think he will, right? He can. He does. But we've got to trust him. And so, um, very interesting, right? Everything should be taken to the Lord in prayer. Everything means everything, right? That's a literal translation. Everything is everything. So everything. There is nothing too great or small. For God's loving care okay so prayer is both an act and an atmosphere okay and let me just give me a little bit of time and I'll explain what that means we come to the Lord at specific times and bring specific requests before him but it is also possible to live in an atmosphere of prayer okay it is possible that the surroundings of our life should be a prayerful one. There's one text that comes to mind in, in Thessalonians that says to what? To pray without ceasing. Okay? This is that. This is that type of prayer. Okay? There's that atmosphere to pray without ceasing. Okay? To live in an atmosphere of prayer. It is possible that the surroundings of our life should be a prayerful one. Perhaps the word prayer in this word signifies the overall attitude of our life. Okay, It's not just pray, but it's a prayerful life. It's just who we are. This is an attribute of ours now. It's an attitude of ours. Whereas supplication in this verse signifies the specific requests which we bring to the Lord. But when we should notice, I mean, but then we should notice that our request should be made known to God with what? Thanksgiving. Okay. We should make our request be known to God with thanksgiving. One commentator kind of wraps this verse up, verse six. He says, He says it should be this simple. He says, Anxious in nothing, prayerful in everything, and thankful for anything. I was like, huh, I should have read that before I went through everything. <laughs> Would have had it done. But anxious and nothing, prayerful and everything, thankful for anything. So, again, there's so much more to be said about this. Um, but I honestly, I think there's, there's more than I know. So I don't want to tackle it too far. Um, I do know, though, with anxiety that, and I, and again, talking to a friend of mine, That because of the broken body, because of the sin, you know, Christ is the bar. And we know that we're not going to meet it, but our goal is to strive to be there. But because we have a broken body, a broken mind, a broken heart, a broken eyes, the way we see life, that there are going to be times when we fall, when we struggle with anxiety. There's our sicknesses that we can't overcome because we have a sin-stained body. But the good thing is, is that when we die, no matter how messed up our body is, the Lord will take it and regenerate it, and one day we'll have a body just like Christ in heaven. Okay? So, we saw that in 1 John. So again, this is just temporal is my point. Hang in there until the day the Lord comes for us. So now verse 7 <clears throat> it says and the peace of god which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If these attitudes these attributes characterize our lives the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of god is a sense of holy rest, okay? Think about that. The peace of God is a sense of holy rest and complacency <clears throat> which floods the soul of the believer when he is leaning hard upon God. Okay? It's a sense of, of holy rest and complacency which floods the, the soul of the believer when he is leaning hard upon God. The peace surpasses all understanding. People of the world cannot understand this at all either. And even Christians possessing it find it a wonderful element of mystery about it. A wonderful element of mystery about it. They are surprised at their own lack of anxiety in the face of tragedy or adverse circumstances. Um, I remember when I was in the hospital with COVID, I I felt guilty because I, I didn't have any anxiety. It was, it was weird. I never experienced this in my life, but. I didn't care if I lived or if I died. I knew where I was going. I was very confident. And uh, as I come across this, I said, man, I, ha- I guess I had that peace, right? If that's what this means, I was confident. I didn't worry about it. Um, it was just a weird thing. And maybe if some of you have ever been in that state in your life and you're a believer, maybe you can relate to that. But it was something that just caught me off guard. And I felt guilty. I was like, well, maybe I don't love my loved ones. Maybe... Um, I don't know, maybe something's wrong. Maybe my mind is just not all there, but I was at complete peace. All they wanted to do was sleep and rest. It wasn't painful. until they showed up with the needles and taking blood. That was, uh, oh, that was the worst part of it all. Don't like needles. I don't care how long they are. But uh, yeah, that was my worst. And so, but it was, there was a guilt, but there was a peace at the same time. There was a peace through it all. It was almost like a deja vu looking back. Um, but anyways uh, one commentator says that the peace consumes the heart and the thought life what a needed tonic it is then in this day of uh, neurosis, nervous breakdowns, tranquilizers and mental distress Okay, so we need this peace as a Christian this peace consumes the heart and the thought life that's what it's all about That's what this is and is needed in our day and age. For some reason, in the last few years, either people didn't talk about it and now we are or something has happened and now it's creating all this. So even more than ever, we need to teach God's truth in depth to help us with these circumstances, with these trials of life, with anything going on where theology can help us answer and give us this peace and this comfort so that anxiety, we don't get caught in that temptation. And then in verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, consider these things. I don't know if you notice when I teach sometimes, I'll say whatever, right? I just want you to know that that's biblical. It's right here, okay? (laughs) My wife tells me all the time, you said it again, you said it again multiple times. Okay, I'm trying. I used to say um, now I say whatever. So it's my comfort word, so. But it is biblical. Here we are. (laughs) So Paul now challenges the Philippians to disciplined thinking. As he moves towards the end of those, of the close, close of the section, ...of the letter, okay? The word, whatever, is introducing virtues worthy of thought, okay? The Philippians are to consider these things, is what he tells them, right? Consider these things at the end of the verse. So we have eight kinds of thoughts that are worthy of deep reflection. Now let's go through them really quick. So he says, whatever is true, okay... It means not false or unreliable, but genuine and real. A person of morality and character. This is what is true. This is things we need to consider about or consider. Okay. So whatever is true means not false or reliable, but genuine and real. A person of morality and character. I'm not going to give you a sermon of each one of these, but I will give you some, hopefully some strong nuggets. So the next one is whatever is dignified or worthy of respect, depending on the translation you have. This term has to do with being serious, dignified, worthy of reverence, respect, or honor. It only occurs in the pastoral epistles, which is interesting. It doesn't mean this is just for your pastors, okay? It means it's for everybody. The Apostle Paul turned around. He's talking to the whole church here. So don't just hold us accountable for this. But it only occurs in the pastoral epistles where the elders in the church are to be worthy of respect or dignify. 1 Timothy 3, 8 and 11 and then Titus 2, 2. Okay, so the term has to do with being serious, dignified, worthy of reverence, respect, or honor. The next one is whatever is just or right. Okay, the just are those who fulfill their obligations to God and man, okay, if you're a just Christian, you will fulfill your obligation to both God and man, okay, God is just and righteous, in the New Testament, the word could carry the moral sense of being a fair person who does what is appropriate, okay, Paul uses the word to describe a person's character or right action, I call it integrity, right, so, Integrity is only for men. My definition of integrity is doing what's right when no one is looking. That's from the human side of it, but God is always looking, right? So there is no integrity. I mean, there is a word integrity for Christians in the Bible, but it's a totally different definition. But in the world, it's doing what's right when nobody's looking only man can see that type of integrity but the just are those who fulfill their obligations to both God and man all right whatever is pure this is also referring to that which is holy the opposite of corrupt again in the pastoral letters we also see a desire to keep Timothy and the young woman pure in terms of a holy character so that they are not disqualified. Do not disqualify yourself. Okay? Um, that's 1 Timothy 5.22 and then Titus 2.5. Okay? This also refers to a high moral character of a person's life. To be pure. Who is pure? Christ. So if he is the standard, there's no, nothing else to be said, right? But... From the human perspective, this also refers to a high moral character of a person's life. All right. So whatever is lovely, okay, has the idea of that which is admirable or agreeable to behold or consider. Um, this, this word, I think, is the only time used here in the scripture. Um, so uh, Josephus, who was a uh, historian at the time, uses the word of, uh, variously uh, to speak of someone being friendly. Or pleasing to others, and especially of those loved by others, okay, so whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable uh, this term has to do with speaking well of someone or a situation they observed. Uh, this was used to give a good report on Paul in second corinthians six eight It assists with keeping unity, okay <clears throat> then the next one is. If there is any excellence, okay, this speaks of moral excellence. This word can be used to describe the goodness and praiseworthy character of God Himself. Therefore, the word conveys the highest standard of character, okay? If there is any excellence, okay, consider these things. Man, the bar is getting tighter and tighter to Christ, right? Right? We didn't realize that this was there, but again, this is Paul's final letter. He is holding us accountable to who we are in Christ. This last section here of this of the eight, number eight, it says, "If anything worthy of praise or recognition, okay, something that deserves to be commended, this can also refer to the praise uh, a person receives from God or people, or that, uh, or that directed." something that's directed to God, right? A praise. Um, So again, these things are to be considered. So summing up what the Apostle Paul calls on the Philippians to think about um, is uh, on anything, he, he calls us to think, he calls the Philippians to think about anything that is true, that is worthy of respect, that is just, pure, lovely, and commendable, and also anything exceptional in character or worthy of recognition. These are the things that they are to meditate on carefully. Meditation on what is true, good, and commendable should constitute an ongoing pattern of life. Okay, This is our pattern of life. Okay, This isn't just a recommendation. He didn't, he didn't say, I consider you just to think about these things. There's actually, in a sense, an underlying command to... You need to strongly look at this because this is who you should be because these attributes reflect Christ and that's who you are. What do people say about you when they see you in the world? Let me help you out. This is the goal you should strive so that when they look at you, this is what you should be reflecting. These are the virtues you should have. And now we get to verse 9, our last verse here the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the god of peace will be with you so again the apostle paul sets himself forth as a pattern saint we've seen this already before we see this in 1 Corinthians we see this uh, here in the Philippians but again the apostle paul sets himself forth as a pattern saint this is not a pride thing this is uh, confidence that he has in Christ. He urges the believers to practice the things which they learned from him and which they saw in his life. He's asking them to imitate him or to follow the pattern because he did them himself. Okay? The pattern that he lived out was not his own recipe, but it was the recipe of God. These things he laid out are all Christ-like attributes. Okay? And he was called to live them out, to live a Christ-like life. The fact that this comes right after verse 8 is very important. Right living results from right thinking. If a person's thought life is pure, then his life will be pure. Okay, on the other hand, if a person's mind is a fountain of corruption, then you can be sure that the stream that issues from it will be filthy as well. Uh, An old pastor of mine in Farmington used to say, if you want to see the heart of men, look at their tongue, right? It's the dipstick of the heart. And I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. (laughs) So just ask the children of the parents and they'll tell you what that dipstick looks like, (laughs) right? (laughs) So on the other hand, I mean, never mind. Uh, So we should always remember that if a person thinks an evil thought long enough, he will eventually do it. Okay? There's always a way out. Don't let that seed grow. If you think of something, put it captive to Christ and move on to something else. Those who are faithful and following the example of the Apostle Paul are promised that the God of peace will be with them. In verse 7, we saw the peace of God is the portion of those, uh, those uh, who are uh, prayerful. Here, the God of peace is the companion of those who are holy. Okay? This is talking about Christians. All these are attributes of the Holy Spirit living inside us. We cannot respond in any other way. We cannot respond this way if we are unsaid. But we are, as believers, have the Holy Spirit in us. And these are the things we should be reflecting because the Spirit lives in us. The thought here is that God will make himself very near and dear in present experience to all those lives uh, who are Embodiments of the truth so again the call to a life a righteous living life a call to trust in the Lord a call to not let the world or your circumstances rob the joy within us and if you're missing that joy then seek Christ evaluate yourself deep inside and you will see that you're not a good person, that you need to repent, that you are sinful, and only God can forgive. If you, you know, if, if, you're, if you have sinned, then the payment of sin is death, and we all have sinned, okay? No one has been perfect, and because of that, each one of us were condemned to hell, but now, because of God's grace, He has saved some of us, and that invitation goes to all, you know, we see the the John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is available to the world. So evaluate yourself. Make things right with the Lord so that you can experience this joy. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. The way we approach this is that you make it right where you're sitting or you go home and think about this. And you make that commitment to God. You repent of your sins. And then one day you come up to us and saying that you want to seek uh, God through baptism. That you want to uh, give that next step of obedience, which is baptism. And then at that point, when you are baptized, you're telling everybody the commitment that you have made. It doesn't matter what you do up here. You get baptized. You're telling everybody, I am one in Christ now. I have repented. I have accepted Christ. And this is who I am. I am now a new man in Christ. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word that you've given us today, Lord. I pray that everything I said today was clear and understandable, Lord. Um, I pray that um, we are convicted, Lord, in our hearts. I was convicted, Lord. I pray that I did not trample on anything that would offend anybody here today Lord in a, in a, in a personal and prideful way Lord but I cannot, I cannot repent Lord or ask for forgiveness if the word of God has convicted anybody here today Lord I know me it's convicted me but Lord I pray that we're sensitive to these things as believers Lord we're called to live like you we are called to to experience this joy Lord and help us Lord not to lose that not to lose sight Help us to be filled with the Spirit, Lord, so that we are glorifying you. And help us to consider these things, Lord. The last verses, the last chapter, Lord, that Paul has given us to the church is to live like Christ and then to say, follow me because I'm living like Christ. I pray, Lord, that we can look behind us and see our own children following us see people in the church following us, see families, friends, people who are following after us because they're attracted to what they see, Lord. An unbeliever will fall away, Lord, because it's convicting. But those who are seeking after you or those who are from you, Lord, and desiring to grow, they will be behind us. And I pray, Lord, that as we look back, that we pull those people under our wings and begin to mentor and train and teach and guide them, Lord, into a more perfect way of life, these things that we talked about today, Lord, to be considered. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen.